Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new mini-series called Scientists in Tech for DTNS. I'm Dr. Nikki Ackermans, and today I talk to Dilsad Daktekin, a Turkish biologist who's working on the effects of seasons on wildlife populations. She uses statistics to create population models with Bayesian framework and hope to contribute to conservation policies. So, Dilsad, welcome to the show. And... Uh... Just give a general background, your name, your qualifications, and uh, why you're such an awesome scientist. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm Dilsad. I'm a Turkish scientist, currently doing my PhD in Switzerland and University of Zurich. Um, I trained as a molecular biologist, but then I decided I'm not super good in laboratories and molecular stuff or not super interested in them. <laughs> decided to move on to ecology. Uh, and now I'm doing um, mostly population models to check the fate of wildlife populations. In particular, I'm interested in seasonality because of climate crisis, basically. Oh, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what kind of animal populations are you surveying? So right now I have, to be honest, 13 species. Wow. But I am analyzing them in, in, in batches. So 11 of them are large mammals in Turkey. So I'm trying to also single species analyzes, also all, all of them together as multi-species analyzes. Then I have uh, Aldabra giant tortoises, I think at some oh. point. <laughs> Uh, and I also have gray mouse lemurs from Madagascar, which is actually the most interesting data I have because we know, like, we can tag them and we know what they, who they are. Like, we have IDs on them. So it's because they're cool. cute also. They're also super cute <laughs> and they can fit in a cup. So anything <laughs> fit in a cup is really cute. But the tortoises, they're not that hard to track, no. <laughs> I mean, their home range is really small. So yeah. I'm sure you can find the same individual next day, the, the same <laughs> place. So They don't yeah. move very much, so it's not no. so interesting, maybe. So how do you collect this data? Do you go on person? Do you, like, you know, follow them around all day? What do you do? So for Turkey, 
data for the large mammals in Turkey. We have what animals are traps. these? Like bears and wolves and yeah, we have like like gen- like general European species. I would say bears, lynx, wolf, fox, red deer, raw deer, hare, wild boar. Okay, probably I'm missing some in the middle, but yeah, generally the idea is general European species. I would say there's nothing like uniquely from Turkey. Okay. Um, and for them, we have camera traps in the forest. These are cameras in some protective case. Uh, they're a little bit more different than usual cameras because they have like their either heat sensors or uh, motion sensors. And they use both or it depends on the camera. It, it depends on the camera too. So it depends on what you want to see too. So we are using the motion sensors and they're like active all the time but they only capture image if something moves in front of them. And also at night? Also at night, yeah. So they have uh, And night. of course, it incre- the quality increases with the uh, price of the camera. So <laughs> again, depends on what you want to get out of it. If you, can, if you just want to know which animal passed there or if any animal passed there, the cheap one will be also like fine. It will show you something passed there. Okay. Um, so, you so like get, the fancier ones, you can see maybe different individuals because you have higher quality imagery. You or? can see more background sometimes in, at night, for example. Also, it is also possible, depending on the species, you can uh, detect individuals, like give them names and IDs, but then you <laughs> really need to have like really good quality. So, so you can see some, like they do with tigers, for example, in India. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you can see tiger patterns because each of them have different patterns. Uh, so they know, oh, this is Tiger A or Tiger B. But for them, I think they're using a little bit more better cameras because they need to see the pattern each sure. time. Sure. What would the heat sensing ones do? The same thing, just like it's mostly for night. I would say, okay, if it, okay. like to to see the animals, it's like the night goggles, you know. <laughs> okay, so those are for the Turkish ones. And what about the like tortoises and the lemurs? Are they also camera traps? Tordoses, I mean, I still did not see the data. It's actually University of Zurich's project. All of okay. these, I should say, they are collaborator projects. They're not my data and not my projects. Also, Turkish ones, we are collaborating with two awesome scientists in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just analyzing the data. Uh, the Aldabra one, uh, also University of Zurich's project with Seychelles uh, Island Foundation. Wow. There, it's not super technical. They do just, uh, they have transects in the islands. And they just go there every day or... So transect is a month. specific like square of ground, like what, it's a, two, it's a two meters long? A road, okay. It's like, it's like a path. Uh, it depends on like, I think on average it was from one kilometer to three kilometers. They have multiple paths of, like in different islands in the like in the Aldabra Atoll. Mm-hmm. So they go there regularly and just count all the tortoises they see. 
With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. That's such a That's fun it. job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. Um, and for mouse lemurs, uh, that's also a collaboration with German Primate Center and University of Göttingen. So Germans have a, a research center in Madagascar since 94, I guess. Okay. And they are collecting this data since then as well. For that, uh, they we trapped the gray mouse lemurs. They are like really small. You saw their pictures before. It's like yeah. they're 60 grams or something like this much. So that's why we use a kind of trap called Sherman traps. They're basically like a rectangular box and it has a mechanism. We put like bait in it. Usually it's like um, banana. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you put some banana in there, they go in there. And when they go deep enough, there's a mechanism that triggers and door just shuts down on them. Oh, and they get stuck. We in don't there. kill them. They're just no, no, trapped no, no, inside no. for like a couple hours. Okay. Uh, so we trap like that and then we bring it back to the research station, do some. So the people I work with, they are either primatologists or behavioral ecologists. So they are interested in much more other stuff than I do. I just want to catch and release them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they take some measurements for primatologists, like the canine and the skull and everything, mm-hmm. tail, uh, the body size, body weight, everything. We do them. And we put like a chip inside of them. Like a microchip, like with the cats and dogs. Yes. Not exactly. a, not a 5G. Uh... <laughs> no, not like okay. that. It's like a microchip. We, it's like, it's like a mechanism is like you inject something in it and just under the skin, yeah. it stays there forever. Kinda. I think they're RFID based, right? Yes, I think so too. And then there's like a remote control type of thing that you can read the chip again. If yeah. you catch an individual. So that you know, oh, this is, uh, I don't know, Lucy or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, we don't name them, but they have code names. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. And then we release them back. Um, that's that technique called mark recapture technique sure. is pretty good. And I mean, most, most of ecologists know that even if they don't do population ecology, it's pretty good to like, basically we're sampling, like taking a sample from the whole population instead of catching the whole population to count them. Which they used to do back in the day. (laughs) Definitely. And you can never count, like, catch all the population anyway. And this this helps you to do, like, an extrapolation based on the sample you have and some error margin. And with that, since an individual data and you know each individual, you can also come with, like, survival analysis or 
sometimes recruitment or fecundity analysis. So you can actually also check environmental effects or other effects on the survival of this species in that region. It gives you a little bit, little bit more in detail, in-depth knowledge because data is in detail as well. So speaking yeah. of the data, you said you work mostly on the data analysis. Yes. So very broadly, first of all, what's the main goal and like how does this work and then how do you narrow it down? And what kind of like software do you use too? My main goal is just to check actually seasonality effects, which so, means changes in seasons. Like what, like, because since climate crisis is happening, yeah. uh, the transitions of seasons are changing to either timing or either the uh, intensity of the seasons, they are changing. And a, of course, like a lot of um, animals are depending on seasons for their breeding or uh, for their foraging, anything, right? Life yeah. cycle is depending on it. So yeah. they, and that's why they're in sync with these seasons and transitions, but it's changing. And we want to know how animals are going to react to that or what any wild species is going to react to that. So that if possible, we, we might come with some really good conservation solutions to protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, also for us to know, like to understand if they're going to adapt or what's going to happen basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you are really restricted with the data with that because but my project is actually good because i can check any type of data so we have right now i mentioned three data sets the one of them large mammals are only presence absence so only thing i had is ones or zeros so like say it's february they're there and in march they're not there that's the data you're working with yeah definitely okay and this is like for every species we have there uh and then for aldabra it's the count data for the tortoises. Okay. So yeah, it's a little amount. bit more. I mean, they are like super similar with present substance, but you can little also go a little bit more in detail because you know a little, a little bit more amount. Okay. Uh, let's say uh, for population size wise. Yeah, sure. And for the mouse simmers, we call it individual based data. That's the more in deep, like most in depth data we have. So that's the perfect one. So I'm not really comparing them in my thesis, but it's good to work with all of them. And, um, so I'm, that's why I need to apply different type of models to all of them because, uh, I can learn much more from the green mouse state, not limer data than the large mammal data and check the seasonality effects for all of them. And for that, I'm using, um, R. Yeah. So this is a statistical analysis software called R that is open source, actually, which is great. Yeah. It is open source. It's like, it has really big community. It's really like, I'm doing everything by Googling as well. So it's pretty yeah, cool. Same. <laughs> but since I like a challenge, I'm on, I'm using Bayesian statistics than frequentist statistics, which means I get to write my own models in an algebraic language, basically. Yeah. And I'm using R to run that, like to make that work. So I'm using R as an engine, but I am designing my own models, basically. How does one design a Bayesian statistics model? Do you said? Um, so <laughs> I'm asking because I actually don't know. I don't do that stuff. It's uh, way too complicated for me. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I mean, to be honest, I also did not know before my PhD at yeah, all. That's I what never a PhD heard is for. <laughs> Definitely. So that's why I'm not like a statistician. Disclaimer, I'm not a statistician. <laughs> I'm trained as a biologist. I learned every statistics I have by myself, which can be wrong. Or just like by doing it. Yeah, uh, but in my first year, I like read this about this crazy 
So Bayesian is like, basically, it's not that different. I mean, statistics is the same. The, the like mechanism behind it is mathematics, and it's the same with the mm-hmm. normal frequentist ways. It just, uh, with Bayesian, instead of the point estimates from any statistics or a point, one a result, you get a distribution. So you have a probability of different results. So if we can put that in our mind, it's like instead of your one tortoise that's there or not there, you get more of like a probability that it's it's going to be there? No? Yeah, something like that. For example, frequentist gives me, let's say, uh, one tortoise is at point A at time T, uh, like for 60% of the time, Mm -hmm. let's say 0.6. But then Bayesian gives me, it can be from 0.3 to, this is not a confidence interval thing. It, there's also the confidence interval, but it mm-hmm. gives me from 0.3 to 0.8. But the frequent, um, so frequency of the 0.3 is lower than the 0.6 okay. in the results. So that it gives me, it can be 0.3, it can be 0.8, but probably it is like 0.6. So it's higher probability okay. that it is 0.6. So this means I get to account for the all the uncertainties I have, like either from the data, either from data collection, either from environmental coverage I'm using, or the models itself. So what what kind of examples of of these variations can can mess with your data? All of them can mess with my data, but mostly like, uh, it's, it's about really the... stormy on the specific collection week that you went to Madagascar and that screwed up the data, or it, yeah, yeah, sure. It, the mostly the problem is uh, the most problems are in two things: one, data collection because it people. can mess up like, <laughs> either people or a species itself. It can be a really hard species to catch, so you don't know how to work around it. Or uh, it can, the other uncertainty part would be the model itself because it always has a margin of error, right? Mm-hmm. So it will never give you the exact sure 100% result. Any model. Yeah. There's no model in the world. Because that that's that. why it's a model. It's not a Definitely. Magic. It's not the reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why you need to account for that too. And it, so Bayesian makes it possible that you can uh, account for these uncertainties a little bit well. And on top of that, it's since you get to write your own model mm-hmm. instead of using these packages or boxed or like already prepared other software stuff, you can change whatever you want. So, for example, if you think you have an observer effect by during data data collection, mm-hmm. you can account that in your model by meaning that different changing. observers record data differently. Definitely, right. so that you get to see. Like observer A or observer B has a difference, or is this the thing that messing up with your results, for example? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty flexible. Yeah, I got I needed to learn a little bit mathematical reading for that, which I never had before. Uh, but right now, I mean, it's really nice that once you actually get it, it's really nice to use, and it's really hard to go back to the other ways because now you have like hundred percent freedom. Basically, you feel really smart, and you code on your computer like in the movies, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get to like kind of um, show off by that to my other uh, friends who are doing biology, but not Persian sometimes. You turn off the lights and you put a projector yeah. on the wall with numbers. And <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of, it looks like a lot. I'm doing some metrics stuff, but actually it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just like really a distri- binomial distribution, which is like not that complicated. It's, yeah. And so what kind of results come out of these models that you created then? What are you able to tell from from your models in the end? Uh, again, depends on the data and the model you are using. But uh, right now, from the 
Uh, I only analyzed the large mammals and the I'm, I just started analyzing gray mouse lemurs right now. Mm-hmm. I did not see all the data yet, so it's it will come to that at some Fingers point. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, for large mammals, I was checking, since I only had one presence and absence data, I was checking habitat use. Mm-hmm. So literally, what's the percentage of being, like for that species, being at that point at that time? Mm-hmm. And I, I gave seasons like as winter and summer. And I was checking, is this changing from winter to summer and summer to winter transitions? And I get to check if they are colonizing an empty habitat in these transitions or if they're leaving a habitat where they already are in the next season, things like that. And it gives me an idea of their habitat use and is this changing through seasons so we can know about the forestry practices around. So how to do them or like basically make some recommendations on it. Because Uh most of the current conservation policies, at least in Turkey... And I think in most places too, usually focus on one species, let's say mm. gray wolf or deer or bear in one area. Uh, but I, I think it should not do that because even if the gray wolf is, does not have seasonality, raw deer might have it, which gray wolf actually in, like, interacts a lot and uh, because it's a prey. Um, so I'm trying to force on that. So I'm trying to say, that those policies should not focus on one species, but just take entire community because there's a lot of variation Mm -hmm. between species as well. I also did some multi-species analysis, which I checked prey effect on the predators. I used wolf and lynx as predators. Mm -hmm. Um, And it did also show, for example, from the single species of the wolf, it it literally did not care about seasons because they're pretty resistant to anything. Mm -hmm. So they can they were just not showing any seasonality or habitat use not was not changing in my results. But when I did a multi-species analysis with the raw deer effect on wolf, it was changing because raw deers was changing. They were the ones so who change. Okay. It was showing a lot more uh, like dependence on the prey. That's so really I'm trying cool. to force that. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. <laughs> I really over... hope some journals will think like that too. So. <laughs> hint, hint. Nature, hint, you're hint. listening. <laughs> <laughs> um over how many years was this uh measured um camera trap data they started in 2007 oh wow and it went until 2010 though then there was some budget cuts <laughs> so four years of gap in between they started again 2014 now it's still going on so okay. it's not that bad so you right can now. see some variability even in that short time and do you see like it's getting affected by climate change even in that short amount of years um kind of i would say so the area is since i don't know uh, if anybody knows turkey that much this is the northern part of turkey where like near to black sea Mm -hmm. a little bit like western black sea let's say um it is not that variable i mean it is variable from season to season but through years, it is a little bit more stable than the others. It's always kind of a little bit more rainy, a little bit more humid. Um, but also like there's snow. So from winter to summer, it changes a lot. But through the years, I don't think it will change that fast yet. But maybe if we have another 10 years of data, then we will see a little bit more uh, variation. That's what I'm believing in. Let's hope they Especially get for some like other species, like lynx, for example, because mm-hmm. we don't have so much data on. So we we have a really huge 
error margin for their results. And they will, that will make, like, that will become a little bit more, uh, accurate if we had more data. So out of all of your field work, but also desk work and, and coding work, what is like one single small piece of tech that, that has made your life <laughs> easier that like is the best piece of tech that you've been using in your career? Mm, supercomputer. A supercomputer? Super super yeah. I mean, the cloud system, supercomputer system from university, which allows you to work with really big models that your current laptops cannot really, <laughs> they can work, but they cannot have that mem memory or that CPU. Uh, so I think that made my life super easier. <laughs> yeah. So you basically have your data set in the supercomputer cloud and you send commands so that it does the computing in there. And then it sends uh, you That can happen. I mean, or... there are variations of it that, but what I'm doing, yeah. I mean, I'm simplifying, I'm cleaning all the data in my own computer. Mm -hmm. That does not require so much power. And then I'm writing the model also in my computer to, to try if it works or not. Then if I'm sure it works and if like, if the mo if the model is doing what I need to do, then I'm putting it on to the supercomputer and basically run for it long, longer times, like minimum, like not longer times, but more iterations in Bayesian, we'll say that more, more times it's running and again and again, it's learning from itself. Yeah. How long does um, it take to run? Depends on the model again. So the single species from large mammal analysis was taking minimum one species was taking like seven hours. And I, I analyzed like eight species. Dang. Yeah. But uh, it depends on the data again. If you have a little, little bit more data, it might, it can also get more like longer. But also since it's going to learn more, it's going to like balance itself a little bit. Sure. For okay. example, gray mouse linear data has much more in detail and much more longer data. But since uh, the model is a little bit more right now, the model is a little more simple, simpler. It takes like two and a half hours. Hmm. But as I'm going to put more coverage or more stuff in the model, it's going to take much more. It's really cool. I'm guessing. Yeah. Do you know what kind of supercomputer it is or no? No, no, it's like okay. a IT. So, it's an um, IT computer. A lot of CPUs, a lot of uh, cores, I'm guessing. So, yeah. Great. That's awesome. Well, that's that's about our time. But uh, thanks so much for volunteering to tell us about your science. I actually didn't even know all this stuff. So it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, thanks again for inviting me. That's perfect. <laughs> thanks again to Dilsad Daktikin for coming on the show. You can find me on Twitter at Ackermans Nicole, and you can catch Scientists in Tech next week where I talk to Grant Coffey about using drones to help survey ancient archaeological sites. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, 
award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.